tuned into Black Hollywood Live, the world's first digital broadcast network devoted entirely to urban entertainment and pop culture. Tune in right now. Hey, 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 it's your girl, Carla Renata, and you have tuned into The Curvy Critic with Carla Renata right here at Black Hollywood Live. Welcome back for episode 99 of The Curvy Critic. Now, last week I was at the Sundance Film Festival and have so much to say about that. So much to say. Um, I wasn't as bowled over about Sundance this year as I usually am. I It was a little lackluster for me this year, but what wasn't lackluster was the amount of content involving inclusion and diversity and women. Loved every second of that. And most of the films that I personally saw, I made a conscious decision because I was, was and still I'm a little salty about the fact that there were 11 films last year or more written, produced, and directed and or starring women. And the only film that was recognized by the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Sciences, or in general throughout this award season was Little Women by Greta Gerwig and Hustlers Got a Little Love earlier on. But because I am a film critic, I just want to set, shed some light onto my girls and for the people of color. And so I made a conscious decision to watch films only dealing in that lane. Only dealing in that lane. I saw a lot of films. I participated in a panel for Nalip, and it was on inclusion and diversity. It included some stellar women, stellar women including Nicole Randolph, who is a strategy and inclusion um, expert or uh marketing person <laughs> at um, AMC Theaters. So that is her job to make sure that the films that they screen um, are inclusive and they have diversity, and she strategizes with the studios on how to bring attention to those types of films. Um, also on that panel was Mandalit Debaco, who is a reporter, an entertainment reporter over at NPR, who I, I did some work for a, a while ago. But... We were on this panel that was sponsored by Nalip at the Skull Candy headquarters in in um, Park City, and it was a really fiery, 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 and um, inclusive and exceptional panel. So thank you to AFCA, the African American Film Critics Association, for um, allowing me to participate, and thank you, Nalip, for having me participate. So there's that. Um, I wanted to talk about a film that I saw that's coming out on January 31st that is going that was at Sundance and this film had been talked about for a while since the Telluride Film Festival it's called The Assistant and a lot of people when they saw it had likened it to being about Harvey Weinstein because it kind of hit right around the same time that they were talking about his trial and everything but um, it is a film starring Julia Garner and Kitty Green is the director the producer and the writer and it's about is a film about this young lady who is an assistant to a really high-powered Hollywood mogul. And it shows how disrespectful, how discarded, how blatantly verbally abusive this man, who we never see his face, we just hear his voice, we never see his face, we never hear his name. But we see how he's treating her. We see how her male co-workers treat her. We even see in some instances how the women that she works with treat her and how just 
abominable the whole thing is. But the thing about the assistant that is absolutely captivating and engaging is that Julie Julia Garner's face, she has very little dialogue to the point where they joke about the film and call it a silent movie. She has very, very little dialogue. But what she doesn't say says volumes. But that film drops on January or dropped on January 31st. And it is a must see. It's a really riveting film. I highly suggest you check it out. Another film that I highly suggest you check out is another film I saw at Sundance called Lost Girls. This film is written, directed by Liz Garbus. It is based on a true crime case that happened in Long Island, New York, where this woman named Shannon Gilbert, who was believed to be a prostitute via some face Facebook, uh, Craig's book ad, Craig's book, I'm getting Craigslist and Facebook mixed up. Craigslist ads. Shannon Gilbert was posting prostitute ads on Craigslist, and she went out to service someone and was never seen or heard from again. So this film centers around this book, this book, this film centers around that case is based on a book by the same name and is directed, produced, and written by Liz Garbus. It is an excellent film, excellent film. It, it The thing about this particular true crime movie is that it's passionately told from a woman's point of view, which usually is not the case. Usually these types of stories are told from a man's point of view, and I think it makes a difference when it's a woman and it's involving um, a gruesome, horribly violent crime toward another woman. Um, I, I think it's important that we are made aware of, of those things when it when it comes to women and how they're treated. So the film is called Lost Girls. It is directed and produced by Liz Garbus. I interviewed her at Sundance, and I want y'all to take a listen, and I'll talk more about the film after that. Here you go. That. that was my first time at Sundance, oh. and so it's so serendipitous that this is my latest time at Sundance, and I'm interviewing you, who We're is the director circle. of that film. Yeah. It's a full circle moment <laughs> for me. But what That's is good. it about these subjects, people that have some type of humanity issue that draws you to that? <laughs> what is it about those types of stories that draws you in? Yeah, well, like you mentioned, what happened, Miss Simone, and you know, in this film also, it's about you know, incredibly strong, brave complicated women <laughs> which I, you know in some ways aren't we all yes. I mean I hope we're brave I mean not all of us are as brave as Nina Simone or Mary Gilbert yeah there's definitely that running theme in the work that I do my first films I started making I was where I was making films in prisons what I wanted to do people know we incarcerate you know more than any other um, country in westernized the world. country mm-hmm. and of course the incarceration of African-American men and you know we're off the charts right and and I'm not saying if you commit crime you shouldn't be punished for it but I I was making a film exploring what you know so you put away people for life with no chance of parole or maybe death you know what is that like who are these people can we hear their stories right so you're, if you're making a film with somebody who they don't say they're innocent like this this is a guy who says yeah I committed murder whatever like how can you actually expect a viewer to connect with them and what I learned is a human being is not equal to their worst action like that human being was young and dumb and did something unforgivable but 
now this is a 55 year old man, 35, 40 years later, and who is this person? And I think that that kind of challenge of, you think you know people, but you know, you're judging them by this one thing in their life and there's so much more than that. And that's like the kind of story I love to sink my teeth into. That's so interesting that you mentioned about how people are judged by the worst thing that they did in their life. That's the premise for the film Just Mercy, oh, which yes. is based on Brian Stevenson's yes, story. Yes, a hero. Yes, yeah, and yeah. he often says that that's why he is drawn to defending people that are on death row because at the end of the day this is somebody's mother father brother cousin sister yes. they made a mistake in some instances a really horrific mistake but why should we judge them by that one mistake for the rest of their natural born life is, is, is there any you know punishment enough like what you know how can we as a society figure that out yeah Absolutely. And I think by knowing these people and seeing what a 55-year-old man is different than that 17-year-old boy, we can understand their humanity, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. What type of research, other than what was already available to you based on the case, mm -hmm. did you have to do in addition to that? The one image I cannot get out of my mind is that image of when they finally find Shannon. Yeah. Yeah. cannot get it out of my mind. Yeah. We had the book, Lost Girls, that Bob Kolker reported, and it was so filled with detail and character, you know, personal tics, and just like what, what made these women unique and special and who they were. So we had a treasure trove. Of course, there, was, um, there were documentaries that have been done, so we were able to kind of study the women um, who are in the film, and, um, and so there was a wealth of material. I also got to meet Mary Gilbert, um, mm, before, before she, she died, passed. yes. Um, so I sat down with her. I could. She was really excited. Um, she helped. The film would really help get public attention on this case that people were trying to bury. And so I got to meet her and like, kind of hear from her some little details about herself and her life that really helped me. Um, Make the film a little more nuanced? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What happened with her younger daughter? Do we know where she is? So Mary Gilbert had four children. We have three of them in, in the film that you know about. Um, so Shannon Gilbert, who goes missing. Cherie Gilbert played by Thomas and Mackenzie, who um, helped her mother on the search. And then a younger daughter named Sarah. Sarah, yes. yes. And Sarah is played by Una Lawrence. Sarah is now in prison. You look at the family, the Gilbert family, and you see the ravages of mental illness, lack of good health care, mental health care, and not enough money for an American family. What, what can, how it can be torn apart? How do you think this film is going to impact the way that police departments investigate these types of crimes because the biggest issue was the fact that you had a mother saying, look, I know she's missing, I know something's happened, this doctor called me, why aren't you doing anything? And then they ultimately end up finding her in the one place that she had insisted that they look all along. And it's a, it's a, it's a recurring theme. I used to work for America's Most Wanted yeah. um, as an intern. Yeah. And I remember vividly this one case, and, it, and I stopped working there after this, this one case where this woman, her daughter on Easter Sunday with a bunch of kids went to walk to the movies in Baltimore, Maryland. And it was like 12 or 15 kids, but for whatever reason, her daughter was the one that they snatched out of that group and she was murdered. And when we went into the home to speak to the mom, it was heartbreaking because the mom still had not come to grips with the fact that her daughter was no longer here. She was holding out hope that they were still gonna find her, like she was not trying to be in that place. And I personally just couldn't handle that. I don't ever wanna see another mother, another family, 
go through that. So I'm wondering what we can do to try to help police departments pay attention. When a woman or a father or a parent says, my child is missing, can we change the laws in, in the number of hours that they start to look for them? Like, what can we do? I mean, I look, I think that we're, we're telling these stories, right? And I mean, the day that Netflix released our trailer, the police held the news conference, the first news conference they had held in a long time. So it showed that the public paying attention to this case helps put pressure on the police to investigate in terms of like how we could change missing persons laws. The truth is the laws are there, it's just how they're choosing to enforce it. Mary Gilbert filed a missing persons claim. They, they told her she had to file it in Jersey City because that's where Shannon's domicile was. They were supposed to send it over to Suffolk County, <coughs> which is the last place that she went missing, and they never shared, the two departments didn't share. It's like what cases are given priority which families have power to make people look? If a if a fifteen-year-old uh, white girl who went missing, who was like you know the prom queen, um, there they would, would have been, they would be her. trying to find her, right? But this was somebody who was working as a sex worker, and they said she's just on a bender somewhere. And Mary knew her mother, her daughter didn't do that. And that was the other thing that struck me because usually when you hear these stories, you hear these stories associated with African American girls, right, right? You know, and this they, is a working class white family who was subjected to sex, you know. This, to, same treatment, right? These people don't count. And it was a very similar um, treatment that you see African-Americans get regularly by the cops, yeah. I have to ask yeah. you, just because I'm here with you, there were 11 female filmmakers this past year that made some magnanimous art. Yeah. And I saw every last single one of them. How annoyed are you at the fact that the industry, the entities that be, still continue to ignore the work of women. Like, when are we gonna get to the day where they look at the art as opposed to the gender? I will say that it all starts with who gets to make their art in the first place, right? Like, you know, yeah, there were 11 great films by women, but there were 20, 50 times that film's made by men. There's just more, right? And there's more at a high budget level. Bigger budgets let you do fancy things that people appreciate in cinema. So it's about what, how, what's happening in the beginning of the pipeline. When women make movies that here are successful at Sundance, when do they get to make their next movie? Male directors are plucked out and hired to make some big superhero movie. It's, it's like, how are women being fostered from the pipeline? Women of color, you know, the numbers are the worst. White women, second worst. Black men, then. It's who's given the opportunity, the budgets, the stories to, like, fill up those awards categories with more films. I believe it will happen. We've already had progress, like, just in the past few years since Oscar So White drew attention to some of these issues mm -hmm. and, of course, the gender issue as well. Mm -hmm. And a place like Sundance, which elevates so many female directors, unlike a lot of other festivals in this country, um, is a really important launching pad for the public's attention. I'm so excited that I had an opportunity to talk to you. I, this was a bucket list moment for oh, me. Oh, that's it so really nice. was. This that's was so a bucket nice. list well, moment for me. I look forward to uh, to seeing you. I look you forward here. to talking to you again. Awesome. I hope so. I loved talking to Liz Garbus because she, like I said, it really was a bucket list situation for me to speak to her. When I first went to Sundance, you missed the, the beginning of that when I, at the beginning when I said it. When I first went to Sundance, What Happened Miss Simone, a documentary that she had directed, was playing at Sundance. And so now this is my latest time, my seventh time to be exact. And she has another film there and I get to interview her. It was like a full circle moment for me. And I'm a huge fan of her work. This is a 
a, a woman who is a fabulous director who comes from the documentary world, and this is her first feature, and I think she knocked it out of the park. And let me just give her a big shout-out, because when I posted my review this week, she retweeted it. That means she had to have read it, because she's not just going to retweet something without reading it. So thank you, Liz Garbus. I'm really looking forward to the next time I see you. And I want to give a shout-out to Luis Miranda Jr., who was the subject of an, another documentary at Sundance called Siempre Luis. Um, it is about Luis Miranda Jr., who is the father of Lin-Manuel Miranda. And, you know, you, you look at Lin-Manuel Miranda, and you think, he has so much energy. Well, guess what? He's the tame one between him and his daddy. His father's energy is off the charts. And I think his father is either in his late 70s or early 80s, but he is a political powerhouse in the city of New York. And there's this documentary, Siempre Luis. I don't believe it has distribution yet, but if it does, you will hear about it right here at Black Hollywood Live on The Curvy Critic with Carla Renata because I think y'all need to see it. His work in the New York politics world in regards to elevating the voice of Latinos in in that process is exemplary at best. I saw some other films that I want to talk about real quick. I talked about them last week, but I just want to give them some love real fast. Bad Hair, I saw, which is a Justin Simeon film. Come Away, which is a cross between that emerges Peter Pan and Alice in Wonderland. That was a really great film. Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. I saw The Glorious, which is directed by Julie Taymor. We talked about The Assistant. Um, Zola, which was the most tweeted about, the most tweeted about film at Sundance. It was the most tweeted about film at Sundance after people saw it, and it actually got a distribution deal. So you will be hearing about that a little later on as it hits a big theater near you. Be Water, which was a documentary about Bruce Lee. Hillary, which is a four-part documentary series coming to Hulu on March 6th. That's a really big film that we're looking forward to. Wake Up is a short film that was done in tandem with HP, directed by Olivia Wilde. It is about how we need to wake up, get them faces out of those those screens and those phones and pay attention to what's going on around you, you know. Uh, side note, I was on the plane going to Sundance and the woman sitting next to me was the producer of a film that Glenn Close was in. Had my face been buried in a cell phone or in a tablet or writing, I wouldn't have known that. I wouldn't have had the conversation with her and we hit it off fabulously. So, hey, Mandy, hey, girl, hey, I know you're watching. Um... And then, yeah, so that's I wanted to just take a minute to discuss that and, and bring that to light and remind you of all the films that I saw that were either uh, focused on people of color, women, or inclusion. And so that is it for this edition of the Sundance Film Festival. We'll, I'll keep you apprised as the year goes on as to what makes it through the pipe and what doesn't. So having said that, this week on the 27th, I believe, Sunset Boulevard, the 1950s classic, celebrated its 70th anniversary. Oh, my God. Its 70th anniversary. And the woman who was the young ingenue in the film, she was at the, I think, at the Chinese Theater here in Hollywood where they did a big screening there um, in tandem with Fathom Events. She was She's the last living member of that cast, and they did a Q&A with her afterwards. But I wanted to just throw some some tidbits of, of trivia out there that you guys may or may not know. So that film starred William Holden and Gloria Swanson. It was a big deal for Gloria Swanson because 
very much like Norma Desmond, she was being phased out in Hollywood. She was a huge silent film star and had was phased out pretty much when talkies came into play. But one of the things that I was fascinated about Sunset Boulevard when I looked up some trivia is the fact that they were going to use Mae West instead of Gloria Swanson for the role, and Mae West wanted to rewrite the script. And so can you imagine Sunset Boulevard with Mae West? It would have been a very, very different film. They also were talking, toying around with the fact of uh, using Montgomery Clift in the William Holden role instead of William Holden. Uh, but uh, And he took the role. He actually took the role, and then he backed out of it because um, he was afraid that because he was dating an older woman at the time, her name was Libby Holman, that they were afraid, and she was 16 years older than him. He didn't want people to think it was a parody of their relationship, so he backed out of doing Sunset Boulevard at the time. The, another thing that was really funny to me, or interesting to me, I should say, is that um, <laughs> Hedy Lamar, the movie started, I talked about the one who started Wi Fi and she was a spy and all that. I talked about this documentary about her a little while ago. She wanted to do a cameo for 25 grand. They were like, yeah, okay. So basically, um, Cecil B. DeMille, the producer, asked if she would she would do a cameo sitting in Norma, in the chair and on set, and she was like, "Y'all can pay me twenty five grand." And so twenty five grand to in this era would be about two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. They were like, mm, "No, that's okay. <laughs> Peace, love, and hair grease. We'll 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 keep it with Norm, with uh, Norma Desmond." And the other thing I want to point out is that the silent film that Norma watches in the film has great significance behind the scenes. In her private screening room, if you remember, Max runs the projector. Norma cuddles up with Joe to watch this film. And the film that we see is footage from a film called Queen Kelly in 1929, which actually stars Gloria Swanson and Eric von Stonheim. Queen Kelly nearly ruined both of their careers. And um, von Stronheim was replaced as director midway through after complaints from Swanson about the, the racy material and arguments. So I thought that was very interesting. And von Stronheim, who, who played Max, <laughs> claimed that the movie almost ruined his career. So he was a little, him and Gloria Swanson just had, had drama all the time. And they did a musical version of it later on through in time. Uh, it starred Glenn Close, and Glenn Close won the Best Actress Tony Award for it, but it took almost 40 years in the making for that musical to happen. So I just wanted to bring up the fact that this, there aren't many motion pictures that celebrate a 70-year anniversary, so I had to give homage to Sunset Boulevard because it's 70 years old, and it, it truly does still stand the test of time. The Spirit Awards will be coming up in about a week, on February 8th, the day before the Oscars. And I just wanted to run through who I think should win and who I think will win. So in the best feature category, I'm thinking, I feel like Clemency should win just because I've been a huge proponent of Clemency here at The Curvy Critic. But I'm thinking what will win will be a cross between The Farewell, Marriage Story, and Uncut Gems. It's a really, all the films in that category are really good. But I feel like Clemency should win, but The Farewell may win just because it didn't get any love from the Oscars. <coughs> Excuse me. Best Director. I feel like Alma Haralf should win for Honey Boy. I feel like Julius Ona should win for Loose. 
I'm feeling like it's probably going to go to either Robert Eggers for The Lighthouse or the Softy Brothers for Uncut Gems. And then the dark horse in that category, of course, would be Lorene Scafaria for Hustlers. Best first, first feature, I feel like should go to Booksmart, but I'm feeling like The Climb will win, but The Last Black Man in San Francisco should win. Um, best female lead. I'm feeling like it's, it probably is going to go to Mary Kay Place for Diane. She had a very, very strong performance in that. But I also feel like Alfre Woodard should get some love for clemency. But because Renee Zellweger has been sweeping the award season, it may very well be her. And then again, voters may go, you know what? She's going to get the Oscar. Let's give it to somebody else. Best male lead. I feel like Kelvin Harrison Jr. should win for Loose. But Adam Sandler is probably going to win for Uncut Gems. Best supporting female. I feel like Taylor Russell from Waves should win, but they may go ahead and give Jennifer Lopez some love for Hustlers. Best Supporting Male, I feel like it should go to Willem Dafoe for The Lighthouse. Best Screenplay, I feel like the Uncut Gem screenplay will win, but I feel like Chinoya Chukwu's Clemency should win. Best First Screenplay, it should go to Frederica Bailey and Stefan Bristol for See You Yesterday. I think that was an excellent first film. That's just my opinion. Best Cinematography, I feel like it definitely should and will go to The Lighthouse. Um, Best Editing, should and will go to The Lighthouse. The John Cassavetes Award, should and will go to Wild Nights with Emily about Emily Dickinson. The Robert Altman Award is scheduled to go to Marriage Story. The Best Documentary Award, I feel like For Sama should win, but American Factory probably will win. Best International Film, I feel like it should go to... I'm kind of torn. I feel like it should go to La Miserable, not the musical, but it's probably going to go to Parasite. The Piaget Producers Award, I have no idea. I'm not even going to attempt that one. The Someone to Watch Award, I feel like it should go to Rashad Ernesto Green. He should and will win for his film Premature. The Truer Than Fiction Award, I have no idea. I'm not going to attempt that one either. (laughs) And the Annual Bonnie Award, it should and it should and probably will go to Lulu Wang for The Farewell. Now, I also wanted to point out that the Oscar nominate, like I said before, the Oscar nominations will be coming out, the, not the Oscar nominations, the Oscars will be happening the day after the Spirit Awards. So I wanted to go through my list of who I think is going to take home the Oscars. So here we go. Let me pull up my list. And we're going to go right into it. All right. So I feel like the best picture, 1917, should and will win. But Once Upon a Time in Hollywood has been winning a lot of stuff. So, you know, and Parasite has been been winning a lot of stuff. So it'll probably probably be between 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and, and Parasite. Lead actor, it should go to Adam Driver for Marriage Story. But it's going to go to Joaquin Phoenix for Joker. He's been sweeping the season. Lead actress, it should go to Scarlett Johansson for Marriage Story, but it's going to go to Renee Zellweger for Judy. Now, the upset in that category could very well be the other three nominees, who are Cynthia Erivo for Harriet, Saoirse Ronan for Little Women, and Charlize Theron for Bombshell. Supporting actor, I feel like Joe Pesci should win. He hasn't won anything all season, but in my opinion, I feel like he should win. But because Brad Pitt has been sweeping the award season, it probably will be Brad Pitt for his performance in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Supporting actress, I feel like Scarlett Johansson should win 
for her role in Jojo Rabbit. But again, because Laura Dern is sweeping the season, it's probably going to go to her for her role in Marriage Story. Best Director is a tricky category because all of these films and all of these directors are certainly worthy. Not one of them is not unworthy of the award, but I feel like it should go to Bong Joon-ho for Parasite, and it probably will go to either Quentin Tarantino or Sam Mendes. One of those two guys, I, that is, that's going to be a tricky category, too. I'm, I'm glad I'm not placing a bet on this because I, <laughs> I would not win at all. I would make no money whatsoever. Um, animated short. Y'all know Hair Love is my jam. I've talked about Hair Love and Matthew Cherry here all the time. So I feel like Hair Love should and will win Best Animated Short. Best Adapted Screenplay, I feel like should go to Jojo Rabbit, Taika Waititi. But it's probably going to go to Todd Phillips and Scott Silver for Joker. Original screenplay, I feel like it should go to Bong Joon-ho for Parasite. But it's probably going to go to Quentin Tarantino for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because it has been sweeping the season. I feel like cinematography, best cinematography, I feel like 1917 probably will win. But it should go to The Lighthouse because the cinematography in Lighthouse is really quite stellar. Best documentary feature should go to Forsama because I talk about Forsama here all the time. But it's probably going to go to American Factory. If Forsama wins, it will be a huge win for the director Wad Wad Al-Khattab. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed for her and Edward Watts. Um, and I have interviews with them. If you want to check them out, please go to the curvyfilmcritic.com or watch the show that the interview was featured here at Black Hollywood Live on the Curvy Critic with Carla Renata. Best documentary short, I feel St. Louis Superman, which I've also talked about here at the Curvy Critic, should win. But what probably will win is learning to skateboard in a war zone. If St. Louis Superman wins, I'm going to lose my mind simply because it is a film that features somebody from my hometown, St. Louis, Missouri. And it was a really good film. <coughs> Excuse me. Best live action short. I'm not sure which one of these is going to win. I haven't finished watching all the shorts. Um, I got sent all of the Oscar shorts that are in contention, so I will watch those and um, talk about those probably next week sometime. Um, Best international feature film, I feel like Parasite should and will win. Film editing, I feel like Ford versus Ferrari should win. The Irishman is probably going to win because it's been winning everything. Um, sound editing, I feel like should go to Ford versus Ferrari. It should and will win. But the only film that's going to give it a run for its money is probably going to be Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. Sound mixing should go to Ford versus Ferrari. It should and will win. It The only the only person that would be an upset in that category for that would either be Ad Astra, 1917, or Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Production design, I feel like it should go to Parasite, but it's probably either going to go to 1917 or Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Original score, Joker should and should win. Joker, the score from Joker should win. But since this is the last uh, feature-length Star Wars film that John Williams has scored, the sentimentality may be on his side and he may win for that. Original song, I feel like Stand Up by um, from Harriet should win, but what's probably going to win is I'm Gonna Love Me Again from Rocket Man because the Academy loves Elton John. Makeup and hair, hands down, should and will go to Bombshell. Costume design, hands down, should and will go to Little Women. And visual effects, it should and will go to 
event Avengers Endgame. So those are my predictions for the um the Oscars and the Spirit Awards. And just to remind you, the Film Independent Spirit Awards will take place on television Saturday, February 8th. The Oscars will take place on ABC Sunday, February 9th. Those are my predictions. I've been doing really good this season with my predictions. I've been coming in either on the money or fairly recently, you know, fairly close. Um, So I wanted to talk about a couple of things that happened this week, mainly um, the death of Kobe Bryant, NBA legend, great Kobe Bryant. He passed away uh, this past Sunday in a helicopter crash along with his daughter Gianna and seven other people. I was in a screening at Sundance when I heard about it. And when I heard about it, the woman sitting next to me said that him and his entire family had been killed. I found out after I came out of the screening that that was not true. And the thing that I want to say about that is that I wish people would find out the whole skinny about things before they start popping off of the mouth and regurgitating facts. The other people that were killed in that helicopter crash were John Altabelli, Carrie Altabelli, Elisa Altabelli, Sarah Chester, Peyton Chester, Ara Zobayan, who was the helicopter pilot, and Christina Mauser. It, I think it's important to say their names too. They had families, they were loved, and people are devastated by their loss as well. Kobe and Gianna Bryant were not the only people in that crash, and I think that um, I personally am taking note that there were other people in that crash who lost their lives, other families that have been devastated. And, of course, we will miss the presence of Kobe Bryant. I met Kobe Bryant one time in my life. He was doing the awards circuit to promote his film, Dear Basketball, which was a short he would later go on to win the Oscar for, which was basically an animated love letter to the sport of basketball, which made him an international star. And I spoke with him about that very briefly, like, you know, very briefly. And he said that he was really excited that people liked it. He's surprised that people liked it and was so grateful he was given the opportunity to tell that story. And he still was stunned that um, he was going to, that he was even in contention about being spoken in the same name of an Oscar. And then he went on to win it. So um, I just wanted to give our thoughts and prayers here at Black Hollywood Live to the Bryant family, Vanessa Bryant and her other three daughters, the Altabelli family and the other two families, the Hauser family and the Carabayan, Carabayan, Carabayan however you pronounce, pronounce his name, I'm butchering it right now, but I wanted to um, give our condolences and thoughts and prayers to those families as well and acknowledge that he was a great presence and he will be missed and so will they. Um... Taika Waititi, who is the director and writer of Jojo Rabbit, which was a, 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 it took a different little spin on Hitler and the race relations in Germany between Germans and Jews at the time. He is being plucked out to possibly be attached to another Star Wars movie. So when we were talking to Liz Garbus earlier, we were talking about, well, she was, she mentioned that, you know, a lot of times with female filmmakers, 
they have to do the circuit, do the circuit, do the circuit, and then new and up and coming filmmakers who are the hot thing at the time, they get plucked to do superhero movies. And this proves her case in point. Taika Waititi is the hottest thing hitting right now with Jojo Rabbit with his Oscar nominations and his nominations across the board with all of the different entities, and he's being plucked out for Star Wars. So no shade and congratulations, but this news just goes to prove Liz Garbus's point and mine as well. Um, Netflix is opening a new office in Paris, which that's very exciting. Um, I don't know how that's going to fare, but I'm sure the Parisians and, and the French people are very happy about that. Um, the, the Producers Guild Awards and the Directors Guild Awards announced their winners. You can find that information up at thecurvyfilmcritic.com. I will make sure that they're all there for you to see. Captain Marvel is definitely going to do a sequel. Brie Larson will be back for that. Kevin Hart and Jason Statham are doing a buddy comedy for Sony Pictures. Wow, that's so exciting. So that's all for the news, the Curvy Critic News here at um, Black Hollywood Live. Next week, which is February 9th, the day of the Oscars, I'll do like I've done for the previous award shows, the Golden Globes and the SAGs. I will be in the studio, but I will announce the winners as they come through while we're doing the show. And then, of course, I'll do a full list after the award show is over with that evening. But I will also have an interview for you with Tika Sumter. She's on the TV show Grownish. A lot of people will know her from the Have and the Have Nots, Tyler Perry's The Have and the Have Nots on OWN. But right now, she plays the mother on Grownish on ABC, and she has a new film coming out called Sonic and the Hedgehog. So we'll have an interview with Tika. There'll be a Birds of Prey review. I was hoping to have that for you today, but I was at Sundance and got a little behind in some things. So I won't have that for you today, but I will have it for you on February 9th. And then I also have a review of a brand new film coming out by NBC Universal starring Issa Rae and Lakeith Stanfield called The Photograph, the most beautiful film I've ever seen. But I'm going to hold it. I'm going to hold it in. And I'm going to save it for you next week so that you can hear all about that beautiful, gorgeous film. And I'm hoping to kind of grab the filmmaker for that. But I'll let you know as I always do. So having said that, if this is your first time at The Curvy Critic with Carla Renato, please give me a big old thumbs up to let me know that you were here. I know Marlon Wallace and Michael B are in that chat room chatting away and talking to me. I know y'all are there because y'all never let me down. And everyone else that comes in, I appreciate you coming in the chat room and talking to me and giving me your thoughts and your suggestions and supporting me over here at Black Hollywood Live. Um, Click the subscribe button to subscribe to Black Hollywood Live and The Curvy Critic with Carla Renata. You will get those notifications if you do so. You can catch me across all social media platforms at The Curvy at The Curvy Critic. You can also catch my reviews of anything and everything I talk about here at Black Hollywood Live on my site, thecurvyfilmcritic.com, thecurvyfilmcritic.com. All of my reviews are there. Please, you know, take a little trip over there and check them out. And usually after this, you can catch me at After Buzz TV co-hosting the General Hospital After Show with my boy, Frank Moran. So, Having said all of that, please, please, please hop on over to Apple Music, Spotify, iHeart Music. Give me some love. Give me some stars. Give me some five stars if you could. Please appreciate you. And I will talk to y'all next week. Until then, I will see you on the flip side. And love, peace, and hair grease. Bye. 
on behalf of our BHL staff, we would like to thank you for tuning in to Black Hollywood Live, the world's first digital broadcast network devoted entirely to urban entertainment and pop culture. Check out our Black Hollywood Live YouTube page for even more great programming and amazing content. And be sure to subscribe and like our channel when you do. I'm your BHL host, Nakia Monet, and you can find me on all social media at Kiki Boom Boom or at Black Hollywood Live. Black Hollywood Live, Hollywood redefined.